0: Well, a little detour this week. Uh, we are indeed in John 14 to 16, where I intend to be for the next several weeks, talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, but as I was preparing to preach from John 16 this week, uh, I came across verses 1 to 4 here. I meant to be uh, in verses uh, 5 to about 15, uh, but I... Uh, Verses 1 to 4, as I was doing my study, you know, you always read the surrounding context to get an idea of what your passage is about. And verses 1 to 4 just reached out and they grabbed me. And I thought, this is something that we need to hear. This is a message for our days. You'll notice that it's about being uh, It's about being persecuted. And we've talked a little bit in the church over the last several months about, well, are we persecuted or not? What kind of persecution do we go through as, as Christians? And I, what I suggested to you is that, well, maybe there is some persecution in our culture, but we are generally more free religiously than just about any other culture in history. I think we need to grasp that. We need to hold on to that because we have a tendency as human beings living in the moments that we live in to say, these are clearly the worst days that have ever happened. Anyone ever felt that or said that over, I don't know, the last like 13 or 14 months? Well, let me ask you something. Did half of Europe die in the last year? No, these are not the worst days the world has ever seen. And having that kind of perspective is helpful to us because it keeps us from these extreme reactions, one way or the the other, and these extreme sorts of statements. It's like how whenever people ask me, Pastor, are we living in the last days? I always say, yes, we are, because people are thinking, you know, I see all these things happening. It seems like the last days. And I say, yes, we are, because every day since Jesus rose from the dead is in the last days. That was in our passage last week, actually two weeks ago, in Acts chapter 1. Jesus is, they say, is it time for you to restore it? No, it's not time, but wait around, uh, and then the Holy Spirit will come on you, and then the Holy Spirit came, and they quoted out of the prophet Joel, and he says, in the last days, you will see spirit-filled people. Folks, we're in the last days. But that doesn't mean we're in the last, last days. I don't have any idea if we're in the last, last days or not. Nobody does. As a matter of fact, if anyone tells you that they do, they are a bad teacher. Because do you remember what Jesus said about the last, last days? He says, I don't even know. Are you saying you know something Jesus doesn't know? Anybody? All the hands are staying down. That's good. So, nice job. But nonetheless... We do have troubles for our own days, don't we? And I think that we do live in an era when those troubles are most likely going to get worse rather than better. And what do we do with that? How do we respond to that? Jesus gives us a solution in this passage. I don't know if you picked up on it. He said at the beginning of verse 4, I have told you this, that trouble is coming, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. That's Jesus' solution. He's giving us a warning. Does anyone else feel like, thank you, Jesus, may I please have some more? Something that feels a little more useful. But let me tell you, Jesus' warning is actually what we need. And I think it's mainly for two reasons. First of all, Jesus' warning is what we need in order to face whatever trials are coming, whatever persecution is coming, because we won't be surprised when it comes. I think that a lot of Christians have been surprised over the last year that the church hasn't been treated like it's a special institution deserving of a lot of protection and respect. Has anyone felt like that's what's been happening over? I think it's pretty inarguably the case. That most people in the culture, you know, when when our governor said, uh, we need to uh, keep the essential institutions open, was the church on the list? No. Because, bless his heart, God love him, and I love him too, but Gavin Newsom doesn't think that the church is essential. And if he is not, I don't know what his faith is, but if he isn't a Christian, why would we expect him to? Why would we expect him to? Why would we expect anyone outside of the faith to treat the church and Christianity like it's the most important thing under the sun? If they believed that, they would do it. If they believed that Christianity was that significant, then they would be Christians themselves. So let's let's get something straight right off the bat. Let's not expect non-Christians to act like Christians. And if non-Christians don't act like Christians, let's not waste time getting angry about it. Because that's the job. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Not get angry when people aren't disciples. (laughs) Go and make disciples. See, Jesus knows that it's not going to be easy for Christians. He gives a lot of reasons in the Gospel of John. One of which is he says, don't think that you're better than me. If I hang and die on a cross, your life's not going to be a walk through the roses or a tulips, I suppose, either. Your life will be like mine. And Jesus tells I mean maybe we shouldn't need to hear it, but he tells it to us anyway, and he says, this is part of what you need to know in order to survive those days. And here's, here's specifically how it's going to help us. It's going to make us prepared. For those days, what kind of things does Jesus talk about are going to happen? He says, first of all, they will put you out of the synagogue. Now, that doesn't sound as bad in the 21st century as it did in the first. You need to understand in the first century, if you were put out of the synagogue, you were a social outcast to everybody. You were, you were thrown out of society. Don't come in. You don't have a voice. You are out of the synagogue. We're not going to listen to what you say. We're not going to invite you over to dinner. We're not going to hire you for that job. You're out. This is a a severe sort of situation. It's not an easy thing. But then, in case it isn't clear that this is going to be rough, Jesus goes on and he says, The time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. And there's something so important we need to take out of that. I think that we easily divide the world up into good people and bad people. We've all done it. I won't make you raise your hands, but we've all done it, right? You know, the good people are over here. The bad people are over there. Sometimes we divide it by borders, right? That country good, that country bad. Sometimes we divide it by politics. The D's and the R's. One good, one bad. Your your mileage may vary. Sometimes uh, we divide it up racially. This race good, this race bad. Sometimes we divide it up by the way we think about certain things, whether maybe even in the academy, in the universities, people, you know, the people who think this way are the good people that we want to hire and the people who think that way are are the idiots and we don't want anything to do with them. I came across a person I I used to go before I got, you know, how do I describe it? Before I got too weak, maybe, uh, I used to go to the uh, Tulare Astronomical uh, Association meetings out in Tulare. It's like from Lemon Cove, it's like a million miles away. And if you know anything about doing astronomy, you do it at night. So uh, driving a million miles out to the outskirts of Tulare, like it's not this side of Tulare, it's that side of Tulare, and driving all the way out there at night to look through telescopes and stuff with people, and then having to drive back, it's like I can't do this anymore. I'm just I'm too I'm too old or something. I'm sleepy all the time. I can't do it. But I went once. I went to an, an initial beginning astronomy class, and while I was there, I got to talking to someone sitting next to me, and we were sharing our life stories a little bit, and. And I said, well, I'm a pastor at a church. And this person you know, started to say, oh, yeah, you know, I used to go to a church. But you know, the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. And he started telling me everything that he'd ever thought was wrong about the church. And the first thing I thought was, who does that? Who, when you go up to somebody and you tell them, this is what I spend my life doing, says, wow, I have no respect for that at all. It's, it's rude. But secondly, as I was listening to this guy, I thought, there is a problem in our thinking when we get to that point where we say all those people over there are bad. Because that's not what Jesus says here. Did you notice? He says, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They're trying to be holy. They're trying to do the right thing as best as they can understand it. Now, I'm not saying it's not a bad thing. It clearly is bad. Don't go around killing Christians. There's no good reason for that. And of course, we can extend that. Don't go around killing anyone just because they belong to a group. That's not what God has planned for us. But I think we need to recognize something about the people who we feel like are on the other side. They're not trying to be evil. And how would that change the way we looked at them? See, I'm convinced that if we understood what the truth that Jesus is giving here, that people are generally trying to do the right thing, even though they're failing, we'd stop getting so angry all the time. This one, I think we need a little bit of public acceptance on. Has anyone been angry this last year? Has anyone been angry at the governor? Has anyone been angry at the president? Whichever one? (laughs) Has has anyone Am I the only one raising my hand? No, (laughs) you're not, Julie. So yours is higher than everyone else's though. I don't know what that means. (laughs) Has anyone been angry at their neighbor? You've been angry. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. Because that anger comes from I hate that they're doing that wrong thing. It offends me. But Jesus is telling us a lot of the time those people are trying to do it right and they are deceived. And if we believe that, what would we feel toward those people instead? I mean, I'm thinking it would be pity, compassion. Love. But let's be honest, that's not where we've been. We're angry. that our, We feel like our rights are being violated. We're angry. And we assign easily the worst motives to the people who want different things than we do. And Jesus is saying it is not that simple. That man that I was at the observatory with and, and who th- apparently thought that all Christians were terrible My response to him, and it's my response to me and to each one of us this morning, is that wouldn't it be nice if the world was so black and white? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just lump all the bad people over there and easily categorize them and easily identify them? But the truth is much more difficult, it's much more awful. All of us are broken and corrupt in our hearts. And to the extent that that gets healed, it's only the work of Jesus Christ that I didn't earn, but was given to me as a gift. All those folks out there that feel like they're on the other side, feel like they're my enemies. And you know what? We have real enemies. God didn't put them out there so we would be mad at them. But so, because we were prepared, we would have compassion. Because... Here's the next thing. See, we might be wondering, how can I possibly love my enemies when they hurt me so badly? You ever feel that way? How can I love my enemies when loving my enemies might mean that I lose? Doesn't it feel that way? If I return kindness for insult, if I choose compassion over getting my own back, then I'm just going to get walked all over. It feels that way, doesn't it? That's why Jesus keeps saying things like, you have heard it was said, love your your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you because it's so counterintuitive to us. And then we try and make it easier right? We try and say, well, you know, he he doesn't mean like love our enemies in terms of giving them good things. It's like, just try and be positively inclined to them in your heart and beat the snot out of them. (laughs) Otherwise, because otherwise they'll win. That's the problem. We're afraid that they will win. But here's what we need to hear. See, Jesus, all throughout the gospel of John, People, he goes out and he teaches people. And then they're like, wow, this is an amazing teacher. Let's make him king. And Jesus would somehow miraculously escape from the crowd. Or at least that's what the text hints. And he would explain it by saying, my hour has not yet come. Sometimes he would speak to the, the crowds and they'd be so angry that they wanted to kill him. And Jesus would somehow miraculously escape out of the crowds. And he would say, because my hour has not yet come. Well, here, the NIV totally messes it up. It, I, I don't know why they do this. But literally in the Greek, it says, uh, if, if we read verse 4, okay, if, if you're keeping up, if you've got your Bibles open, that's always a good thing to do. He says, I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. That's not what the Greek says. I have told you about this so that when their hour comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. And of course, their hour will be Jesus on the cross. But here is, here's the amazing thing. That's also Jesus' hour. See, there's this enormous conflict that's about to happen where the people will take Jesus to the cross and they'll think, we beat you, we won. And Jesus will say, you thought this was your hour, but it was mine. And he pays for our sins. And he rises from the dead on the third day. And he wins. Not as a matter of humiliating his opponents like he doesn't love them or care about them. But as a means of showing compassion and kindness and generosity. And yes, justice and also mercy to everyone at the same time. Do you remember in his hour what Jesus said from the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Doesn't that sound like his warning? They think they're doing this great thing for God by by killing me on the cross, but they're not. They think they're doing this great thing for the world by punishing the Christians, but they're not. It's not their hour, it's ours. And how is it our hour through Jesus Christ? When we follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, How did Jesus make it his hour? It wasn't by fighting back. It was by accepting. If you read, someday, I want you to pick up the gospel of Mark. And I want you to read the whole thing in one sitting. And especially the passion narrative. The story that leads up to Jesus' crucifixion includes his crucifixion. I want you to read the whole thing all at once. And I guarantee that if you do it, here's what you will find. Jesus was in control. The whole time. There are people down there, they're shouting things at him like, if you're really the son of God, why don't you come down off the cross? Jesus like, you don't understand. That's why I'm staying on the cross. I'm really the son of, I can pay for your sin. I really could call the angels down. They really could fight, but I'm not going to do that. Because my victory is not a victory of grinding my opponents into the dust, but lifting them up and rescuing them and saving them forever. Folks, if we are angry at our enemies in this world, we are not like Jesus Christ. We are not like Jesus Christ. How are we going to live? How are we going to live? Let me close with this thought. Jesus is always honest with people. That following him is going to cost them something. If you've been here at the church very often before, I try to be really careful about throwing stones, right? People in glass houses and all of that. But there's one that is so clearly a lie from hell, as C.S. Lewis would call it, damn nonsense, That we need to call it out. And it's this this prosperity gospel that teaches that if you follow Jesus, everything you you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if you're not, it's because you don't have enough faith. That is not what Jesus calls us to. That is not, that's not the example he left us. Did the prosperity gospel forget that Jesus died on a cross? It tears the heart out of the gospel. Jesus, instead, when people come to follow him, there's this great passage in the gospels where this guy comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, you know, birds of the air have nests and you know, foxes of the field have dens, but the Son of Man is nowhere to lay his head. So the guy came up and said, I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says, I just want to make sure you know I'm homeless. Is Jesus the worst evangelist who ever lived? I don't know. I tend to think not. Someone comes up to him a minute later and says, Teacher, I want to follow you, but let me first bury my parents. We don't know exactly what he means by that other than let me take care of my family obligations. And Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. See, when people came up to Jesus, he didn't say, everything is going to be great from here on out. Smooth sailing, everybody. He said, count the Cost, And if you aren't willing to pay it, then you can't follow. Folks, after all of this time and all that we've been through as a people, have we been more concerned about our own rights and our own needs leading us to anger or more concerned about living as followers of Jesus Christ and saying, I am here for you. I live my life for you my neighbors, and above all, for my God. And I will be like him in everything that I do insofar as I possibly can. And if you're wondering this morning, how are we going to possibly ever pull that off? The first way is we remember Jesus' warning. So we're not caught surprised. So we understand why people oppose us and out of what sort of heart they oppose us so that we can oppose them with the heart of Jesus Christ, which isn't really opposition at all, but an invitation. The second thing that we need is the Holy Spirit. Because folks, brothers and sisters, if I was going to be honest with you today, if this was up to me, I have already failed. You have already failed. None of us can do this on our own. And we're going to discover in the next several weeks how the Holy Spirit helps us to do this. And I'll just give you a quick preview. This is really the last word, I promise. Uh, We're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit is the presence of God to us. So much so that Jesus can say, it's good that my presence leaves, my physical presence leaves, so that you can have the spiritual presence of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk... uh, as well about how the Holy Spirit leads us into the truth about ourselves and about the world, about sin and righteousness and everything that we need to know. And that power, that divine power operating in us, is what ultimately makes us able to live like Jesus Christ. People not who are happy because circumstances are great, but are filled with joy and contentment because our God is great.